0: Dear Lord, we just thank you for this chance to come and worship in your house this morning. We're so grateful that we could gather with other believers here this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would just dwell on this place. We pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell over Brian as he delivers the word this morning. May our hearts be open, our ears be open um, to what you have to say this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, Story Church. How are you doing? It's great to see you. Great to be back with you uh, if you're watching online, it's great to have you uh, tuning in with us as well. And so uh, it's, been, it's been a little bit since I've been here. It's October, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. So I just wanted to say before we jumped in today, uh, just how much I appreciate your pastor. Um, he has been such a gift to us. For those of you who are maybe newer to the story, you don't know... Uh, We're part of a network together called the Zero Collective. I'm the lead pastor of Frontline Church and uh, the Zero Collective. I serve in uh, both of those capacities. And so, Kyle, I I hope it's been a blessing uh, to Kyle and to Josh and to to be a part of the network together. But I got to tell you, uh, Kyle has just added so much to our teaching team gatherings. We put the messages together every week in community. And um, he's just been a blessing to be a part of and has brought so much energy. That's what we always talk about. Your pastor brings a ton of energy to everyone. Every meeting he's in. I I know you guys are not surprised by that. Um, And so anyway, it's just just a joy to be with you. Today we're starting a brand new series, and I get to kind of start us off. We're talking uh, about rewriting love. What we're talking about is marriage and family and singleness and the gospel and the way that the gospel speaks into um, whatever situation we find ourselves in in our world. And so uh, to get us kind of started, I thought maybe since I'm newer to you guys, I thought maybe since we're talking about marriage and family, I'll introduce you to my family. I thought that might be a good way to start. So this is my family. Uh, this is the Bloom family. This is my beautiful wife, Carrie. We've been married for 23 years, and um, these are our four boys. So this is our oldest, Alan, right here, and then on the far corner, that's Andrew. I'm going in order. Uh, then this is Aaron, and then this is John in in age, and so uh, 20 all the way down to 13. And so Um, That's my family. That's the Bloom family. And I would tell you this, marriage, uh, and if my wife was standing here, she would say the same thing. Marriage has been the site of some of the greatest joys in my life and in our life together. And also marriage has been the site of some of the deepest heartaches and some of the biggest struggles that we've ever had in our lives as well. Uh, marriage is challenging. It's really, it's really challenging. Speaking of struggles, uh, I found this past week a whole bunch of these like uh, tweets that people tweeted about marriage. And so I thought I'd share just a few of them with you because it illustrates some of the struggle that we go through in our marriages. So see if you can relate to any of these. Go ahead. The first one, it's, it's a wife. She says, husband, day one of marriage, where do we keep the can opener? Husband, day 4,563 of marriage, where do we keep the can opener? Can anybody relate to this? This is exactly the way it is in my house. Literally this weekend, my wife is like, it's been 23 years. You still don't know where that is. How is that possible? Uh, I like this one. This is a husband. Um, he says, when my wife gets upset at me, I sneak into her Netflix profile and I give thumbs up to the most boring documentaries. Uh, so that's one way to get revenge on your spouse. And then I, I like this one, too. I just thought this was really true. Uh, she says, uh, get married so when you pour your heart out, someone is always there to say, what? What? Are you still talking? What is is that? Oh, man. Marriage is, is a place where we struggle. And I don't need to tell you guys about divorce rates. right? We all know about divorce rates inside the church and outside of the church. If I were to tell you that one out of every two planes is going to crash, would you want to get on an airplane and travel by air? Of course not. And yet... Uh, every year, people want to march down that aisle and get married. There is no shortage of people on my calendar for this next year asking me to officiate their wedding. And so the question is why. Uh, so what we're going to wrestle with this morning in this first uh, message that we're looking at is where does this desire for marriage come from? Even though we know the struggle that marriage can be, even we, though we know it can be the site of such deep heartache, we know what divorce rates are. Why do we still want it? Why is there something in us? That for so many of us, we have a desire to be linked to another person and to be married. If you go to the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, at the very, very beginning of the Bible, you have this incredible story of how God creates the heavens and the earth. And the creation narrative in Genesis 2 is kind of like a poem. It has this poetic refrain. And again and again and again, after every day, it keeps saying, and God saw that it was good. That's right. God saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. And then you get to verse 18 of chapter 2, and the the first thing in all of creation, it says that God saw that there was something that was not good. God had created man, the first uh, human being, Adam, and it says God saw that it was not good for the man to be alone. First thing in all of creation, it says it's not good for the man to be alone. And we know this, don't we? We know that it's not good for the man to be alone. None of the man's clothes matched, you know. He he was dressing like it was still the 90s, you know, all that kind of stuff. He needed some help. He needed somebody. And so you have this story of how God creates Eve, the first woman, to live life alongside of Adam and to share life together. And then you get to verse 24, and verse 24 is the foundational verse for marriage, Genesis 2.24 tells us God's plan for marriage. It's the first place that marriage ever appears in the scriptures, and it says this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So that's marriage. That's what marriage is. It's a man leaving his family of origin, his mother and father, and be united to his wife, and they begin a new union. They become one together and create a new union together. Now, the secular view of this, the secular view of marriage in our world today, is that uh, the Bible is this archaic, ancient product of its time, uh, and it's an outdated and bigoted perspective on marriage. And so uh, the way that the secular view of marriage works today is marriage is more like a disposable asset. Okay? So I can pick it up, I can take it on, as long as it's helping me get where I want to go in life. But then the second, it's not helping me get uh, where I want to go in life. I can dispose of it. I can get rid of it. And so I only look at marriage as something that will help me go where I want to go. And also, there, there's all different kinds of versions. So uh, we, don't, we don't have to just be limited. You know, marriage has evolved. The definition of a marriage has evolved. Now there's gay marriage. There's other options. You know, people live together without making a commitment to marriage. And so marriage in the secular view has morphed and morphed, but the reality is, you know, we look at that, we look at the Bible's definition for marriage, and we think, wow, it's so different than our culture. But here's the reality, the biblical view of marriage has never, ever fit into any culture of any time that it's ever been in. So the Bible has always, the biblical understanding of marriage has always kind of gone against the grain of every society and every culture that it's ever been a part of. And the reason for that, go ahead to that next slide, if you will, is because the Bible actually suggests that God created marriage, and if God created marriage, he has purposes for it. So that's where we have to start this morning. If we want to have a great marriage, if we want to have a solid marriage, we have to begin with this understanding that marriage was something that God actually created, and we see that in Genesis 2, 24, and God has purposes for marriage. And so we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at God's purposes for marriage. And our anchor text is going to be Ephesians 5, verses 31 through 33. So uh, I'll set the stage a little bit for you. Ephesians 5 is in the New Testament. And the writer Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he's writing a letter to the church, to the believers in the city of Ephesus. Now what you need to understand is that for the ancient Greek world, the city of Ephesus was like the New York City of their day. Okay, Ephesus was like the epicenter of progressive culture. I mean, it was where, uh, you know, all, you could find any form of sex you could possibly think of in Ephesus, any form of marriage was embraced, uh, idol worship, pagan worship. And so Paul is speaking to the church there in Ephesus, in the New York City of his day, in the ancient Greek world, and he's telling them about marriage. And this is what he says, verse 31, uh, and we're gonna spend some time in this series in Ephesians chapter five, but he says this to the church in Ephesus, as the scriptures say, he's talking about marriage, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. That just sound familiar to some of you, hopefully to all of you. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I want to say a couple things about this passage here. If you could just leave it up here just for a second. So when Paul is talking about marriage in the New York City of his day, the epicenter of progressive culture, he says, okay, we got to talk about marriage. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, you know, times have changed. We, we've got to evolve. Like the, the understanding of marriage has to evolve um, so, you know, let's talk about marriage in a Greek culture, in our culture today here in Ephesus, and let's redefine marriage. That's not what Paul says. What Paul says is if you want to understand marriage, you got to all, go all the way back to Genesis 2. Notice what he did here. He begins, he says, if you want to understand marriage, as the scriptures say, and he quotes Genesis 2:24, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. He doesn't go forward and evolve the definition of marriage. He goes all the way back and says, that's it. By the way, not only does Paul do that, Jesus does that as well. In Matthew 19, Jesus gives this exact same definition for marriage. He's asked uh, by some of his followers about marriage, and Jesus says, well, if you really want to understand marriage, and he quotes Genesis 2.24 in Matthew 19. He says, you got to go all the way back to the beginning if you want to understand what marriage is about. So the only marriage... That the Bible ever affirms that we can ever find in Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the very end, the only form of marriage the Bible affirms is one man and one woman in a covenant relationship with God and with each other. That's marriage. And that's what it is all the way through. It's one man, one woman in a covenant relationship with God and with each other. Now, I'm guessing some of you are thinking right now, but wait a minute. What about, like, I think there's some examples of these guys who had, like, 10 wives or 100 wives or whatever. Like, there, there's, you know, other examples of different kinds of marriages in the Bible, right? There's polygamy. There's all kinds of craziness, uh, crazy stuff that happens in the stories of the Bible. And I would say, yeah, that's absolutely true. There is example after example after example of how human beings took marriage in a different direction than God planned for it. It's called sin, in fact, what the Bible gives us, actually, the Bible doesn't tell us story after story of great marriages. What the Bible actually gives us is story after story after story of terrible marriages that were going in the opposite direction of what God had designed for it. But the only marriage that the Bible ever actually affirms and said this is marriage is Genesis 2.24, one man, one woman in a covenant relationship between God and with each other. That's it. And so Paul says, that's what I want you to understand. That's what you have to go back to. Even in Ephesus, in his day, that's what he said. And then from there, he draws out a couple of purposes that God has for marriage. And so I just want to look at those together. Uh, There's a couple of purposes from this passage. Paul goes back to Genesis 2.24, and then he draws out two purposes that God has for marriage. And so I want us to look at those together today. And whether you're married, whether you're single, I'd encourage you to jot these down. Um first, Paul describes marriage as a mystery. He he quotes Genesis 2.24 and he says, but, but this idea of a man leaving his mother and father and being united to his wife, it's a mystery. Now, the word mystery there is the Greek word mysterion, and it doesn't it doesn't mean like something unknowable, like we think of the word mystery today. What the word actually means is it, it means it's a metaphor. Okay, so the first purpose that, that Paul talks about for marriage is marriage is not about you. It's actually a metaphor. Marriage actually is not about you. It's not about your spouse. It's not about the person you want to get married to. It's not about your fiance. Marriage actually is a metaphor. What what do I mean by that? Marriage is a relationship that points to another relationship. The whole purpose of marriage is that it would point to another relationship. And what's this other relationship it points to? Well, Paul tells us in that text, he says uh, marriage is actually a metaphor for Christ in the church. Marriage is actually supposed to reflect the relationship that Jesus Christ has with the church. So in other words, if you can wrap your mind around this, God, in Genesis 2, when God creates the whole world, when he creates marriage in Genesis 2, God has the redeeming work of Jesus and the church in mind. Because marriage is supposed to, in a, in a sense, reflect to the rest of the world a picture of what Christ and the church and their relationship look like. Now, you can belong to Christ and the church whether you're married, whether, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're remarried again, whether, you know, whatever is the situation you're in, you can belong to Christ and the church. But marriage is supposed to reflect that relationship. Now, why is that so important? Why is that important for us to understand as we start this series talking about marriage? It's, it's so important to understand because Christ and the church have to be our model for our marriage. If we want to have a, a solid marriage, Christ and the church has to be the model for our marriage. That's what we have to look at if we want to understand what it means to have a, a strong biblical marriage. Whenever you get stuck in a marriage... And by the way, every marriage w- gets stuck at some point. I don't care how compatible you are. I don't care how good uh, everything's lined up. Every marriage will get stuck at some point when my needs aren't getting met or, or your needs are not getting met. Every marriage gets stuck. And, and in order to get unstuck, what you have to do is you have to go back to the metaphor. If you want to get unstuck in your marriage, you, you, ha- you have to go back to this metaphor of marriage actually is a picture of Christ and the church. That, that's what it really is. I have a friend named Scott, and um, Scott and his wife, Kelly, have been married for uh, over 10 years now. They have two beautiful little girls, and uh, about a year ago, Scott and I were having lunch, and we were talking, and, and he, he says to me, uh, he says, you know, uh, Kelly and I, we don't argue. Like, we not ar- like We never argue. And I was like, oh, come on, man, you've been married for over a decade, you have kids, you argue. Like, everybody argues, right, in in marriage, there's no way, and he's like, no, we never, we just don't argue, we just don't have arguments. And I was like, how is that possible? How is it possible that you never argue? And here's here's what he told me. He said, when we first were getting married, we sat down and we decided on the story we wanted to tell with our marriage. Like, literally, they actually wrote this thing out together, and they wrote out, here's the story we want our marriage to tell. In other words, someday when we're old, and people ask us about our lives together, this is the story we want to be able to tell people about our marriage, about what our marriage was about. And I didn't get to see the actual thing that they wrote out, but basically he told me their marriage story was going to be all about Jesus and all about service, all about serving others. So loving Christ all the time with their marriage and then serving other people with their marriage. And so what he told me is, you know, whenever we get to this point, whenever, like, she has, you know, a direction she wants to go and I'm not in agreement with it. Or maybe sometimes there's times where I've wanted to do something. And and whenever we've hit this point where there's a disagreement, all we do is we just go back to the story. And we say, does this line up? Does this line up with the story we feel like we're supposed to be telling with our marriage? And he just said, everything just kind of becomes clear when we do that. (laughs) And we just don't argue We just don't have these big protracted arguments About any decisions we need to make I was dumbfounded When he said that It just blew my mind I'd never heard anybody say that You understand why that works don't you In the context of what we're talking about The the reason it works What he was basically saying was The story that we're telling with our marriage He's talking about their shared relationship With Jesus together That's what he's talking about It's this picture of how Christ loved the church. Let me put it to you this way. If you and I are in a consumer relationship together, if that's our relationship, then in a consumer relationship, my needs and your needs are way more important than the relationship. My needs are up here, and our relationship is down here. That's how any consumer relationship works. In other words, as long as my needs are getting met, and for you, as long as your needs are getting met, we will stay in the relationship, But our needs are what's more important than the relationship itself. The second my needs are not getting met, I will sacrifice the relationship and go somewhere else where my needs can get met. That's how a consumer relationship works. But in a covenant relationship, like marriage, and again, marriage is a covenant relationship between God and a man and a woman. In a covenant relationship like marriage, our relationship is actually more important than my needs or your needs. The relationship is up here. My needs getting met, your needs getting met. That's down here somewhere. Do you see how that works? You see the difference there. Here's why that's so important, and here's why it's so important that our marriages are modeled after that. It's because in in a covenant relationship, where our relationship is actually more important than my needs or your needs getting met, that relationship is secure. That relationship uh, is solid. And when, a, when the relationship itself is solid and secure, trust and intimacy can then begin to be built. And it's amazing. When trust and intimacy are built in the context of a covenant relationship, your needs do get met. <laughs> my needs do get met. But if we do that backwards, if I'm trying to meet your needs and you're trying to meet my needs so that we can save the relationship, And man, you better meet those needs or else the relationship's in question. Well, you can never build trust. You can never build intimacy because the relationship itself is insecure and that'll never work. And that's a picture of of a lot of marriages today, inside the church and outside the church. They're more like a consumer relationship than they are a covenant relationship where the relationship is what's most important. And my needs getting met, your needs getting met are secondary. How did Christ love the church? He loved her, and he sacrifice his life for the church. That's why that, that relationship has to be the model for it. It wasn't about Christ's needs getting met. It was about the relationship itself. And that has to be the model for our relationship. So Paul basically says the first purpose that God has for marriage is that it, it's not about you. It's, it's about that marriage would reflect the ultimate relationship of Christ with the church. The second metaphor, or I'm sorry, the second purpose uh, that Paul talks about here in, in marriage and what he talks about for marriage uh, Go ahead to that next slide if you would Is marriage is not to make you happy But marriage is actually to make you more like Christ The second purpose that God has for marriage Is actually not to make you happy Even though that's why a lot of people get married Is they think oh this person's going to make me happy But the ultimate purpose for marriage is not to make you happy It's to make you more like Christ if you understand the gospel, what you begin to realize is that marriage is a tool for the gospel to actually remake your heart from the inside out. And that this is why Paul talks about there, in verse 33, he says, husbands, love your wives just like you would love yourself, and just like Christ loved the church. And we'll look at this again, you know, in further messages. Love your wives. Now, that word love Um, when paul says husbands love your wives it's the word agape now some of many of you know this there were multiple greek words for the word love now he's talking about husbands and wives he says husbands love your wives he could have used the greek word eros which is where we get the word erotic it's like sexual romantic love husbands love your wives eros in this romantic sexual way that's not what he says he says, husbands, agape your wives. Why is that so important? Because that's the same way that Christ loved the church. Agape is God's love. It's unconditional. There's nothing you can do that's going to make that love stop. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on your merit. It's not based on your effort. It's not based on whether you meet this need or that need or don't do it or do do it. It's unconditional. It's unconditional. And, that, and that's what Paul says, is husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church and just like you would love yourself. And then um, in that same verse, verse 33, what we just read, Paul says to wives, wives, respect your husbands. Now, the word respect there is the Greek word phobos, which is actually where we get our word for phobia or fear, in fact, it's the same way that whenever um, it talks about the fear of the Lord in the New Testament, it always talks about uh, having the fear of the Lord. That's the Greek word phobos, where we get our word phobia. Now, Paul's not actually saying wives fear your husbands; be afraid of your husbands. It's much closer to our word for respect. That's why it's translated that way. It's 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 our our understanding, our word for respect. Um, but it's actually the same word that's used in verse 21 of Ephesians 5 where it says, submit to one another. Husbands and wives submit to one another out of reverence, phobos, for Christ. So it's this picture of loving and respecting. Christ loves the church, and the church submits and respects to uh, uh, Christ, and it's this picture of when we do that, when we learn how to do that with one another, we become more and more formed into the image of Christ. Marriage actually has the power when we make our, our marriage about Christ, instead of about making us happy, it has the power to transform us into becoming more and more like Jesus. Let me give you really quickly just a visual illustration of this. If you could go to that next slide. So uh, we're just going to call this, for, for, to visually illustrate what I've just been talking about for the last couple minutes, we're just going to call this the marriage triangle. How many of you have seen this? Has anybody seen this before? Okay, a couple of you. All right, awesome. So, so this idea of, of the marriage triangle, again, marriage is a covenant relationship between God and a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, right? So if you think about this, the only way the husband and the wife grow closer to one another in their marriage is they grow closer to God. The only way that their marriage actually gets closer and closer to one another is they actually move closer to God, or you could say Jesus, really, their relationship with Jesus. That's the only way it works. If the husband and wife just focus on each other and try to grow closer to one another, they can't. There's no path to do that. They have to actually go up and be focused on their relationship with God together if they want to grow closer together. That's what we're talking about here, and that's the way God designed it to work. Now, here's why that's so important. Uh, who, in this illustration of marriage, who is the focus? It's God, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, so if the husband is focusing on himself or, he's, or if he's trying to focus on his wife, it doesn't work. If, if the wife's trying to focus on herself, trying to focus on her husband, or trying to focus on the kids or whatever, it doesn't work. The only way it works is if they both together focus on Jesus, that he has to become the focus. Now, in the the next couple weeks, uh, I know Kyle, when he's back, we're going to spend some time talking about how do you do that? How do you actually live that out? How do you actually focus on Christ together and grow together in your marriage? We're going to talk about that some more. But today, we're not going to get into the practicalities of how to do that today. Uh, For our purposes today, I just want to ask the question for each and every single one of us, uh, as we as we reflect on just these purposes that we've been talking about today, first purpose is um, marriage is not about you, you know it, it, that's that's not what it's about. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's uh, a relationship that points to the ultimate relationship of Christ and the church. And the second one is that marriage is not to make you happy. It's to make you more formed into the image of Christ. As we think about that, the question I'd love to ask you whether you're single, whether you're married, um, whether you, you th- you're in your own family of origin right now. Whether you're divorced, wherever it is, I just wanted you to think about who is the hero of your marriage story? Who is the hero of your marriage story? I, th- I think that question gets at the heart of what we're talking about when, when we're defining marriage. Let me explain to you what I mean. If, if uh, maybe you're the hero of your marriage story. So, so maybe for some of you, you're trying to follow Christ. You're doing everything you can. And maybe your spouse isn't following Christ. Maybe you're the only one who comes to church. Your spouse doesn't come with you. And so you're, you're the hero of your marriage story. In other words, you're trying to fix that person. You're trying to save them. You're trying to rescue them. You're trying to fulfill their needs and everything in order to keep the marriage intact. I just, I just got to tell you, that's too heavy a burden for you to bear. You can't do that. You can't save another person. You can't fix another person in in your marriage. You can't change them. That doesn't work. The hero of your marriage story has to be Christ. In other words, you have to come to this place where he's the focus of your life. He's who you're pursuing, and you have to entrust your spouse to him. Uh, For for others of you, maybe you'd say, well, uh, my spouse is the hero of our marriage story, and Maybe you're in a place where you're thinking about leaving. Maybe you're considering divorcing, and, you're, and the, so the focus is on your spouse, and you're saying, well, they better fulfill me. They better meet my needs. They better turn it around and fix this and change what they've been like. And so in a sense, they're the hero of the marriage story. If they fix themselves, if they change it, if they fulfill you, then, hey, the marriage is going to last. That won't work either. That's too big a burden to put on any one person. They can't. They can't fulfill you. They can't change themselves enough. They can't fix everything that's broken in the marriage. Jesus has to be the hero of your marriage story. You have to look to him. That's the only context. That's the only way in which your marriage is going to last and it's going to be strong. Your kids can't be the hero of your marriage story. For some of us, maybe even just the idea of having kids is sort of the hero of the, of the marriage story. Like, gosh, if we could just have kids, maybe you've struggled with infertility, you know, that, that would solve everything. That would fix all our problems. That, that would salvage our marriage. But that's too big a burden to put on kids. No kids can save a marriage or fix a marriage. The only way it works is when we put Jesus as the hero of our marriage story. He's the hero of the Bible, not you, not me. He's the hero. He has to be the hero of our marriage story. The only way I am fulfilled, the only way I am whole, the only way I bring something good to my marriage as a husband, as a man, as a father, is when Jesus is the hero of my story. So I'd love to invite the band um, just to come up uh, as, as we prepare to close this morning. And as we're reflecting on this, This idea of when you make Jesus the hero of your story, of your marriage story, of your singleness story, of your divorce story, whatever it is, what it does is it focuses you on what he has done on your behalf. And it erases shame. It has the power to erase this performance mentality where I've got to fix it by my own merit and by my own power. And it invites Jesus into our lives. It invites him into our relationships. Uh, I'll close with this story. A few years ago, um, I was asked to um, officiate my cousin's wedding. So uh, my cousin was getting married, and so I'm going to be the pastor, right, to go officiate it. And so it was mostly our, my family, mostly my extended family who were at this wedding, and some uh, from the bride's family. And just to let you know, uh, my family has a lot of divorce in it, has just a lot of brokenness, a lot of marriages that have, you know, kind of broken up, and the new marriages that were formed and remarriage that's happened. And so we're at the, the the wedding. Everything went really great. My cousin just got married, and now we're at the reception. And so uh, the DJ, right, where it's the dancing part, and I, I guarantee everyone in you, if you've been to a wedding anywhere, you've seen this happen before, right? So the DJ says, okay, I want all the married couples out on the dance floor. And so I, I grab my wife, Carrie, I grab her hand, and we go out on the dance floor. And like everybody, all the married couples, mostly from my family, all go out on the dance floor, and the you know one minute into the song, you've seen this, right? The DJ says, "Okay, if you've been married five years or less, go sit down." And literally, like half the room goes and sits down because there's so much brokenness in my family, so many divorces. There's hardly any marriages that have lasted more than a few years. And the, and the DJ just keeps going. A minute later, he says, "Okay, if you've been married ten years or less, go sit down." another huge chunk of people go sit down. Now there's just like a handful of people left out on the dance floor still dancing. 15 years, at that point my wife and I, we'd been married uh, 15 years or less, so we go sit down and I'm standing there and there's just a couple couples left on the dance floor. 20 years, everybody sits down except one couple. And the DJ just keeps going, 25 years, 30 years. 35 years, there's literally just one couple still out there on the dance floor. 40 years, 45 years. And this one couple standing out there still on the dance floor for our whole family, it's my parents. It's my mom and my dad. I stood at the back of that room watching that and I just had tears just coming down my, my face. It was such a powerful moment to me because... Uh, it wasn't always like that. I'm the oldest of their three children. I can remember uh, very, very clearly thinking as a 12-year-old kid, my parents are getting divorced. And that's exactly where they were heading. They would tell you that's, that's where their marriage was heading. And I, I got a front row seat, and I got to watch when Christ intersected my family and there was a year where we, we got invited to go to church, we started going to church, and I watched, we all accepted Christ, and my parents began to have their hearts changed by Jesus. And they began to reflect Christ to one another. They began to serve each other in Christ, and I got to watch as God rebuilt their marriage and, and rebuilt their lives on a totally new foundation. And I can tell you, watching them dancing on that dance floor, Jesus is truly the hero of that marriage story. Not my dad, not my mom, not any other human being. Jesus is the hero of that marriage story. Maybe some of you right now are saying, well, that's great, but that's not me. That's never going to be me. I'm never going to be the last. We're never going to be the last ones out of on the dance floor. Maybe you've already gotten divorced. Maybe you've been remarried. Maybe right now things are so rough and, and you're you're questioning, man, how are we going to make it through this time? whether or not you're ever going to be the last person out on the dance floor, what you can do and what can be possible is you can decide today to make Jesus the hero of your story. You can do that today. And when you do that, He becomes the focus of your life. He becomes the focus of your story, and He's the one that gets all the glory for what He does in your life. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're remarried again, It's all supposed to point us to him. And so I want to invite you, wherever you are, uh, whatever your situation is, today, would you just bow your heads with me as we just go to prayer, as we just turn our our thoughts and our minds to to Christ this morning. If you're online, I would love for you to to bow and pray with us as well. I don't know your story. I don't know your situation. I don't know uh, the level of, of, of... rejoicing that's going on in your life right now or the, or the level of shame, the level of guilt or regret but I know that Jesus right now is entering into this moment and so Jesus we just come to you right now and we truly, we just turn ourselves over to you and we make you the hero of our stories it's too big a burden God for, for any of us to try to be the hero and save another person or change another person or fix another person, some of us God are, are, our marriages are in trouble And it's not going to be our spouse that can save it. It's not going to be us that can save it. We need you, Jesus. We need you to be the focus. The the, the way that you love the church and the way the church loves you, uh, God, would that just become the model for our lives, the model for our marriages? God, I pray that you would just allow us as the church to know you and to know your love and to be formed and shaped by that and so that everything we do, whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we're parents or whether we're not, everything we do is a reflection of who you are and of your love for your church and our families. And I pray that you would build a legacy for the future on that. That's the only thing that we can build a legacy on. And so we entrust ourselves to you and we praise you for who you are. Would you begin a new work in us starting today, Jesus, we ask in your name. And everybody said, amen.